it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, Andrew and I are going to do a bird's eye view. We're going to take a look at proxy statements for four different companies to give you an idea of how you can maybe assess management and kind of look through some important information from a financial statement that doesn't get talked a lot about, but can provide some interesting information. So I guess for us to start, why don't we just kind of talk through like some of the things maybe that you look for in a proxy statement and what I look for in a proxy statement. I guess I'll start. I like to look for things well, like... How would you define a proxy statement? Because already oh, yeah. if I'm a beginner, I'm lost. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, so a proxy statement is also known as the DF-14A, and it is a statement that they send out once a year to shareholders to announce a, a vote for different things that the company is voting on, whether it's things like uh, the board of directors, management, pay, or any other incentives or objectives that they want shareholders to vote on. And so that's an announcement for us to vote on these particular, I guess, referendums, if you will. And it also provides us insider information about things going on with the company related to the management board or the board of management as well as the board of directors. And so we can also see here where people are getting paid, how much they're getting paid, maybe who are some of the big inside ownership of the company and anything related to that. So most people refer to it as a proxy statement, but the official SEC term is DF14A, I believe. Cool. All right. So I guess maybe instead of like working through things we want to look, why don't we just start digging in? So Maybe we could take a look at Google as, I guess, our first example of a company that you would look at. What are you trying to accomplish by looking at a proxy statement? Like, what part of the business are you trying to analyze 
by looking at this? I think the easy answer is management. I'm trying to assess management, what they get paid, and look for any incentives that drive their pay, which will in turn affect how the business is run. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. And that's really the crux of the main question you want to answer when you look at this. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I mean, most companies are kind of run where you have management, which basically is talking about a CEO, usually stands at the top. And then there can be a president. There can also be like a COO, chief operating officer. There can be a CFO, chief financial officer. So everybody kind of has their different hats they wear. Usually the CEO is at the top kind of directing things, but sometimes you have co-CEOs too, like that insurance company, Markel. They had yeah. co-CEOs for a while. So basically, the you want to see what the management is doing. And to your point, Dave, how they are compensated can, can sometimes give you insight into what kind of things are they focusing on. So just as a big example, kind of very broadly, is a management going to be focus more on growing the business or making the business more profitable because if they're if all their bonuses are tied to revenue growth they might not focus as much as profitability they might sacrifice profits to get more growth and vice versa for profits and revenue growth so i think that's where management incentives can be a great place to analyze especially if you can give context to what's happening in the business and then if you see it moving a certain way, maybe you say, oh, well, that makes sense why maybe profits are down or companies kind of growing at all costs while their management's compensated that way. So that would make sense. So you can start to avoid some of those aspects of a business and the way businesses are run without even needing to find that itself. You can almost like head it off up ahead instead of dealing with it down the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that I have used the proxies to help me with is try to determine whether management is in it for us or in it for them. And kind of going back to that whole incentive idea, what Charlie Munger always says, you know, show me the incentive and I'll show you the result. And it, it really does go to, you know, everything that Andrew was saying. It's very, very evident. And there's been in the past, there's been some bad actors that have used those incentives to try to grow the business for the wrong reasons. And that's basically just align their pockets and not necessarily help shareholders out. And so those are some of the things that you can find within the proxy statement. Um, I will warn people that the proxy statement by in and of itself is full of a lot of legal jargon and a lot of legal language. And it can be overwhelming if you try to read it like a book. It's uh, much better to pick and choose and kind of hunt for the things you're looking for as opposed to trying to read it. And in some cases, you will find companies that will not make it obvious what the management is paid based on. For example, they, they may be based on free cash flow, for example, and they get all kinds of bonuses and awards for that. But you have to really look through the fine print to find that. And sometimes if they're trying to hide it from you or not make it super obvious, that can be, a, I guess, a not so subtle hint that maybe they're not in it for you too. So that's just something to kind of take away from it. Perfect. So maybe before talking about like how somebody can be compensated, can you give us an example of a company where the compensation is really good, where you feel like management's being paid in a way that's fair to shareholders? 
Yeah, absolutely. I guess the first company that I would talk about would be Ajin. This is a, a Dutch payments company that I've been a big fan of for a little while now, and I've owned it for more than two years. And they are, I think they're one of the better examples of a company that's paid very well and aligned with the shareholders. And this company operates in Europe. And so they're discovery rules and the way that the documents that they write are different than they are going to be in the United States. So for example, for Ajin, they don't have a specific proxy statement that they issue. They issue all this information in their annual report, which they write every six months. So they report numbers every six months. And so Ajin includes all this information in that. And the two pieces of data that you can pull from their annual report that can kind of give you a clue of where the how the company is aligned is the first thing, and this is actually something that you'll find in all the United States and all the U.S. companies now as well. It's called the CE pay ratio, which is a formula that they figure out how much the CEO is paid, and then they figure out how much the average employee in the company is paid, and then they calculate a ratio, 100 to 1, 10 to 1, you know, so and so on. So the CEO for Ajin right now, his pay ratio is 7 to 1. And that in and of itself may sound like, okay, you know, whatever. But when you put that compared to the pay ratio for Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal, those all range between 186 to 1 to 240 to 1. So it shows you that those CEOs get paid a lot of money compared to the average employee for the company. And in and of itself, that may not mean anything, but depending on what the industry is and also how much they increase their pay, those things can all be relative. Now, the the CEO for Ajin, now keep in mind, this is a $52, $54 billion company that does around four or five in annual sales a year. He is only paid $670,000 a year and he has no other pay besides that. They don't get stock options. They don't get grants. They don't get bonuses. He just gets paid a flat salary for the year and that's how he earns his income. And the rest of the management gets around four hundred and fifty to six hundred thousand a year. Granted, that's a lot of money compared to you know peasants like us. But you know that's still when you think about the annual salary for Visa's, just his cash payment is around fourteen million dollars for the Visa CEO. So he gets paid quite a bit less than the other people do, and that. He does that for a reason. He wants to show shareholders that he's not in it to try to gouge shareholders for pay from the company. And he feels like getting paid what he gets paid is a fair amount of money for the work that he does. And they have, he owns, he and his co-owner own a majority of the company, but that was all pre-IPO. And so it, it doesn't, they've not issued any shares since the company has gone public. And that's one of the things that, gets a lot of controversy stirred about CEO pay is the whole stock options and all that. Ajin just, you know, avoids that completely and they just don't offer them to management or employees at all. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. 
Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So would you say then that CEO of Visa, for example, is gouging shareholders with his $14 million compared to Ajin's 670000 You could argue yes. I mean, I look at it more in relation to what the company is trying to do. And it makes me feel much more like Ajahn is in it with us as shareholders, as opposed to the gentleman with Visa. And I'm not saying that Visa is a bad company or that I hate Visa or I I love Visa. It's one of my biggest holdings. But when you compare the pay ratio, it could, you know, if you start looking at the incentives and what drives, you know, Visa and how this, how the CEO gets paid it could lead you to think that maybe they're not necessarily aligned with shareholders. Um, it's not a deal breaker for me, but it it certainly adds a, not a questionable motive, but for me, it just makes me feel a little bit less like they're totally in it for the shareholders. I guess that's kind of the way I look at it. Are there rules of thumb for certain CEOs get compensated more versus others? Because you mentioned, you know, you threw out a lot of big numbers, 50 billion company, right. 670,000, those all sound massive. Right. Are there rules of thumb to kind of give context to some of these numbers? I would say it's a little bit all over the board from what I've looked at. I've looked at some smaller companies as well as some really big companies. And it's the pay ratio tends to be, for the most part, they tend to fall in line with other companies. Because one of the things that companies will do is they will base their pay ratios on what other companies are paying. And so they will kind of try to all stay within the same general area, depending depending on the industry. 
and what they're doing. You know, you would think automatically that maybe just like tech ones are going to be higher than other ones. But I noticed a few months ago, I was investigating John Deere, which you don't think of as like a big tech company. And their CEO pay ratio was actually quite high. It was in the, I think, over 200 to one. And that surprised me because it's not a tech company that maybe their pay ratio was would have been lower. So I've seen it. I've seen it kind of all over the map. I haven't really seen any rules of thumb that say that, hey, just because this company is smaller than this one, some of it has to do with how much the, the employees are paid. I think an interesting one to, to look at would be Walmart for reference for that. Okay. So the... So you're talking about pay ratio or like the actual number that the CEO is getting paid? The first part is, I guess, really the thing I focus more on is the actual pay ratio. And then I'll look at the individual numbers to kind of see how that lines up. So when like a tech company whose employees are all making 100 grand a year mm-hmm. have a much lower pay ratio than, like you said, Walmart, who has minimum wage workers. Right. Yeah. So the disparity is going to be a lot bigger, you know, in some of those companies. So it's, it's really more about like what the CEO is getting paid, you know, kind of compared to other competitors. And then also in comparison to what industry it is that they're doing and whatnot. But it's all, I guess I try to look at it as it's all part of the information to assess whether the management is aligned with us. It's not necessarily strictly just based on the numbers, but it's also kind of what drives those stock incentives, for example, or any sort of cash bonuses that the company might make. Yeah. And I guess it's helpful to know that Every company is different. And to your point about is management aligned with the shareholders, I think that's the most important thing. So, you know, when you hear big news articles of, you know, journalists like to throw a big number out there because it sounds really nasty, but some of that can be a base pay and some of it can be stock options. So mm-hmm. you could argue that stock options could actually be a really good thing mm-hmm. if those if the way they're earning those stock options are helping the shareholders, the owners of the company to also have good growth and up into the future. So my biggest takeaway from that kind of whole discussion is, is management aligned Forgetting about what the actual numbers are is management aligned with shareholders. And if they're aligned with shareholders, then it makes sense for them to treat all these billions of dollars that are moving around to treat it like they are stewards of the capital serving the shareholders versus just being a a way for them to line their own pockets. Is that fair? Oh yeah, that's totally fair. So I guess what would be some examples of stock option alignment where the way a, a CEO is being paid aligns with shareholders? What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Some of the things that I've seen that I've liked have been when they are paying them bonuses for things that move the needle for the company to be better and also how they spread them out. Sometimes they'll award stock options to a company. I'll give you an example. Novo Nordisk, which is a company I've looked at a little bit here recently. One of the things that they do is they award stock options, but they have three to five years for those to vest before they can actually liquidate them. And they can only liquidate them if they beat certain targets. And so they set the targets up based on 
returns on capital, free cash flow, and um, I think it was market cap moving. So they're trying to drive the stock price higher, but they're trying to do it by returns on capital and generating free cash flow, which they can use to reinvest in the business. And so when you combine those two ideas together, I'm okay you know, if they're driving the stock price higher because they're creating more growth from the products that they're gener- you know, creating. I think that's a good thing for the company and it's a good thing for me as a shareholder. So I'm okay with the CEO being rewarded for that productivity and the fact that it's based on a three or five year period. And if they don't hit those targets, then that I'm okay with that. And the targets are also set. It's not like, so let's use, for example, it's if they're going to use ROIC return on invested capital as a metric, they're not setting it at like, Hey, the company has to achieve a 5% ROIC when historically they have 25%, you know, it's, it's, they actually set it at a level that makes them stretch or is at least, comparable to what they've been doing. And so that helps make it more aligned. Uh, I've seen some companies where they set, you know, a fast growing company and they set the revenue growth at 5% a year when they're growing at 25% every year. Well, that's, that's too easy of a hurdle to step over and they don't have to, they don't have to work at it to, to earn the money. So I guess that's one of the ways I look at it. I'll take the opposite side and be less optimistic. So I'll talk about a company who when I saw this in their proxy statement, it literally made me not want to buy this company. So I'm not going to actually say the name of it. Okay. So don't hop over my screen and tell people <laughs> what proxy statement I'm looking at. But so when you use a proxy statement, not only can you find out about management, but you can also find out who owns the company. And when a certain group of individuals or a single person owns a majority stake in a company, they can basically decide whatever they want happens with the company, which includes who the CEO is. And so I ran across a company like this. It's a great company. Um, it's been growing for a while. It's got super strong brands that everybody knows. But the way that management was compensated were things like, and I'm just going to read it right now um, from their proxy statement, net sales, adjusted earnings per share, diluted margin, EBIT margin, free cash flow, growth rate, and adjusted earnings per share and shareholder return. Those are just some of the examples. So when I read those incentives, I don't necessarily see them as aligned as a company like Nova Nordisk that you use in your example, because something I think is not always obvious for a beginner is that a lot of companies can grow their earnings per share really, really fast by wasting a lot of money. So you can have companies that, you know, I'm thinking of like GE 20 years ago, where the CEO, not only were they lining their own pockets egregiously, some of the examples are are absolutely ridiculous. Like I read this in a book once, I wish I could remember it. He would have a gym, like his own private gym set up at every hotel he went to. Like the gym, wherever he went, wasn't good enough. They had to like outfit his whole suite, you know, with the gym, whatever. But what they ended up doing was they would, buy a lot of businesses and pay huge prices for them. So that profit number is growing every year. But at what cost? It became unsustainable for GE because they just burned through all this cash. Mm -hmm. So in a similar way, if I look at a company where it is majority owned by somebody else, it's not owned by all the shareholders, and management could be compensated with high bonuses for just doing growth 
without it being balanced by something where the way capital is being used is evaluated, like return on invested capital, then that's pretty much a red flag for me. And if I see return on invested capital going the wrong way, then you look at all those factors and you say, maybe this investment isn't for me. So I guess that would be an example on my end of where the incentives don't seem to be aligned and I don't like the way the company is going with their ROIC and and Mm -hmm. some of their growth. So it's a pass. Yeah. I've seen those kinds of things. McDonald's, Boeing, and I think Caterpillar a few years ago, all three of their CEOs were let go because they were kind of gaming the system. They were kind of doing exactly what you're talking about. They were getting compensated on earnings per share growth, even though the company's earnings, like the actual number wasn't growing, but they were spending all their free cash flow on reducing the shares outstanding. And so even though the company's revenues were flat and their earnings were flat, their earnings were growing and they were getting their bonuses. And yeah. so, and you know, people discovered that finally caught on that that's what they were doing because they were manipulating the numbers to allow them to, you know, get their bonuses and all three of them were let go for doing that kind of shady kind of stuff. So, you know, show me the incentive and I'll show you the result, right? <laughs> I have probably one of the worst memories. So take that for what it's worth. But I, I feel like you had mentioned that on our show like three, four years ago. Yeah. Talking about at least Boeing and McDonald's. Yeah. I remember reading an article, I think it was in Forbes or somebody that they were talking about that, that all three of those CEOs were in a lot of hot water because of people had discovered that they were doing that. So that's, you know, those are all great ways you can determine whether management is is aligned with us or not. Maybe we could talk a little bit about like ownership of the company. I know you have a couple of companies that you wanted to kind of talk about, but maybe we could talk a little bit about how you look for who owns the company and maybe how that can impact the decisions that are made with the company. Certainly. So I would say the vast majority of companies are owned by the collective public. You think of like all of Wall Street and that's everybody, 401ks, you know, pension funds, really rich people, whatever it is. It's funny, one of the pet peeves I have is when you see something going around on Instagram where I guess, I don't know, people are discovering the proxy statement and not understanding how they analyze it. So they're like, who is this BlackRock and why do they control every corporation in the entire (laughs) world? It's like, no, uh, BlackRock and Vanguard, they're actually like holding the shares for everybody else who owns them, right? right? So you can look at the ownership. It's sometimes labeled like stock ownership or beneficial ownership. You look for a section like that in the proxy statement and that will tell you who owns what, how much they own. Does the CEO own a lot of stock? Does some founder own a lot of stock? Is a lot of it held by the general public? Those are all things you can find out from the stock ownership section of a proxy statement. So as an example, one of the companies I own, Watsco, they are majority owned by basically the family that founded the company. So you have BlackRock owns 4.5%, Vanguard 3.6%. Remember, those are shares that BlackRock and Vanguard are owning on behalf of so many other people. And then you have over 50% owned by the NAMED family, which is related to the founder. So you can use, 
you can use that information to tell you if shareholders have a say in the company and the way the direction it's going or if they don't. Because if you don't have a say, then you basically, the only power you have is to walk away. So you could look at a company like Disney from a couple years ago where investors were kind of getting impatient with the way they were choosing to strategize the company, whether that's through streaming or the parks or, or wherever it was. So you had basically voting proposals that that are made on behalf of how to change what the company is doing. When a company is owned by all of Wall Street, like the, everybody in the world owns a piece, then you can start to have voting where kind of the power of the crowd comes in. But uh, a company like Watsco, you don't have that because it's family-owned, essentially. So if people who owned Watsco did not like how the company is spending their money, for example, they can't necessarily drive a vote to have the company change because the vote's not going to matter because they have majority ownership. So when you find a company where there's majority ownership, you have to look at management, their actions, how they're compensated. Those things need to have like a double, triple, quadruple look with a really, really big magnifying glass because you really don't have as much power versus there was another company, I, I won't say the name, but I used to own them, where there was like a huge fit and there were actually voting materials sent out and you know shareholders were voting and that kind of influenced what the company was deciding to do and how they were deciding to move forward. So not saying that like you can just turn a blind eye if it's not family owned, but you can kind of hope that the crowd's going to push for change when it's not family owned versus if it is family owned or founder owned, you, you won't have that same recourse. So you do have to be a little more careful as an investor. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. 
Yeah, you absolutely do. I kind of on the flip side of that, I know Intel just recently they had a vote for the CEO pay. And kind of to your point, there was all these news articles about how much the, uh, he was going to get paid. And it was considering the company was on a big time is on this big time struggle bus. It just seemed really outrageous. And so there was a big pushback and they actually the shareholders actually got together and voted and, you know, it did not pass. And so he wasn't able to get his bonuses that you know had been you know told he was going to get just based on the performance of the company. So it's interesting to kind of think about like a lot of people think about, you know, I want to own Android or family owned businesses because it makes it simpler. But to your point, if you don't like the direction that's going, you don't really have much say other than to sell and go on to the next company. Yeah. So that kind of, there's a level of oversight that's kind of gone there. So it's that extra level of trust that you're putting on another company. Yeah, you really you really have to like the people that are running the company if they're in that much in that much control because like you said, if you don't like it, there's not much you can do about it. And it's not even necessarily a fifty one percent ownership that necessarily drives that. Berkshire Hathaway, for example, Warren Buffett owns thirty three percent, thirty five percent, which isn't the entire thing, so he can't completely vote sway the votes, but he basically has had basic ownership from his 30% stake. Right. So just having a significant stake can really sway how different big picture decisions are made at a company. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, Google, kind of to your point, Google is not family owned, but it is majority owned by the two founders. They have two classes of shares and they have a class B shares and a class A shares. And the class B shares are owned, and majority of them are owned by Larry Page and Sergey Brin, who are the the founders of the company. And so they really control any decisions we make. And if you're a shareholder of Google, for example, and you don't like the direction the company's going or you don't like the CEO, you don't really have much choice in whether or not that decision gets made. I mean, we can all buy A shares. And, you know, like you said, Vanguard and BlackRock hold almost 900 million shares for investors in that company. And there's about 5.9 billion outstanding. So uh, it's only, I think, 7 or 8% of the company is all those shareholders own. And so, you know, to your point, it's you, you really have to check and see if everything that's going on at Google meets your approval as far as the incentives, the pay, you know, the, the, any of the motions that they file for the company and just the direction that they're trying to go. Because if you don't, you, you can only just walk away. Is there anything else about the proxy statement kind of beyond maybe the management pay and some of the incentives ownership that you may look at as well? I don't really have much. How about you? The only other thing that I look at it for, uh, besides those important areas, is who they consider their peers. Because a lot of times when you read through the 10K, they may or may not list out specific companies. And so you may not know. I mean, if you read Walmart's, you know that Amazon is going to be a competitor. It's just that you know that. But it's also helpful to look through that section to see who they consider as competitors. And then I use that as a a way of either measuring like what kind of total market maybe they think they're going after. And I also will look at it as a way of investigating other companies. Because sometimes you may be looking at company A and you find that they have these 10 other competitors and you read through those and you find 
one you like better than the one you originally started with. And it's just, it, it also gives you a kind of a good idea of the whole overall market as well. So that's, I guess, the other place that I look for with stuff. You can also, I mean, you can go so deep down the rabbit hole. You can, you can see how the different direct board of directors is constructed. So mm-hmm. you have a board of directors, maybe five, 10 people who kind of make other decisions and they are kind of the balance of power against the CEO. And when they are voted in and how they are voted in is all in the proxy statement. And sometimes the way these committees are constructed I've seen at least one instance where even though the person didn't have majority ownership, they had pretty tight control over everything because of the way the board of directors was structured. So, you know, especially with those smaller companies, if you do some digging, you might find stuff that really stinks, but they can be well worth it if you're investing a lot of capital. So you can go so down the rabbit hole where most investors buying big companies in the S&P, I think thinking of over the things that we talked about is helpful. I would not make a decision solely on a certain number or ratio I saw. I would take it in context with everything else and also with how the company is moving in general and more use the proxy statement to try to understand where management's coming from and how things are structured. That's kind of how I would look at it. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think the last thing that I would kind of relay is if you're unsure about what the company's growth metrics or whatever their compensation metrics or really whatever their goals are and where they're trying to go, if you listen to an earnings call, the topics that they talk about the most in the earnings call, especially in a management presentation, those generally are going to align with either the compensation or the stated goals for the company, whether that's revenue growth or earnings growth or or things of that nature. And so that can be a bit of a cheat code to help you figure out what it is that is important to the company, because there usually be three or four things that are like super important to the company. And they'll talk about those a lot. And then when you read through the proxy statement, you may find out that those are the things that the management is compensated on, or that's, those are the incentives driving the, the company forward. And that can be a a kind of a cheat code to help you figure out some of that stuff. That's something I learned. All right. Well, everyone, that's going to wrap up our show for this week. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. If you would, kindly consider giving us a review. It greatly helps the show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials we've created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, consider growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, I will go ahead and wrap us up. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.